That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Gem State, the trials of Chad and Lori Daybell. I'm Sarah Jacobson, joined as always by Gem State producer Ryan Oswald. Hey, Ryan. Hey, Sarah. We are bringing you this midweek update uh, because a few few large things have happened so far, right? Yeah, some big stuff. Yeah, uh, it's only Wednesday, uh, in, uh, so it's literally a midweek update right now. But Monday and Tuesday had some big revelations. We thought right now is is the time to uh, bring bring kind of this midweek update here. Um, Sarah, do you want to let them know why, why we're here? Yeah, um, so we wanted to make sure to get this information to you because at this pace, at least the pace that this trial's going, it could be a lot over the next couple of days. Um, Just a quick recap of where we're at with everything that's happened so far. So we started the week with 46 witnesses so far that have testified already. And as of today, we're now at over 50. It's they're just they're moving right now. Exactly. We want to make sure that you guys have all the information right here at our podcast to give you a look at what exactly is happening in the courtroom. So um, several key witnesses already testified, including uh, Kay Woodcock, uh, JJ's aunt or um, guardian. Grandma. Grandmother in this case. Yeah. Um, of course, Colby Ryan, Lori's son. We have Summer Shiflet, Lori's sister, um, both who had really difficult phone calls um, that were played out loud for the court to hear. We also have that for you, um, talking about Lori and her behavior since the discovery of her kids. Right. Yeah. Not to mention uh, Detective Hermosillo. Yeah. I think so far he he ranks up there as one of the toughest ones. He is the lead detective from Rexburg Police, and he testified for more than a day. He was on the stand for a day and then, what, a few hours the following day. And a lot came out coming out during that time. Yeah. I mean, he, he went through everything from the investigation, everything that led up to it, everything that led them to find JJ and Tylee, mm-hmm. uh, everything that, and then what the entire process was like of actually finding and then extricating the remains. And that was a, that was a big one. That was tough. No, definitely a long process on behalf of not only the Rexburg police department, but of course the FBI and all those entities involved. Everybody. Yeah. I mean, like, like we mentioned, I think in, even in that episode, uh, Boise police were even in, east idaho you know monitoring the 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 freeway the highways yeah so uh larry woodcock jj's grandpa who we've heard from um, a few times in this podcast he spoke with cbs2 again um as he was entering court the other day 
And I really think he sums up the reason for our mid midweek episode um, as well as anyone. What you got for this morning is not as pretty a morning as yesterday, but it's a nice morning. Very cool. So uh, yesterday was a big day. Yesterday, what I feel like was probably the single biggest day of the trial so far, um, you know, with evidence. And it was a great day. Uh, looking forward to the day today uh, to see what happens. I, I hear we got a couple of interesting uh, witnesses coming on the stand. And... Uh, What Larry is referring to is on Monday, uh, state's witness Keeley Coleman, who's a senior DNA analyst, she testified. Now, Coleman was sent a strand of hair that we'd heard of previously last week when coroners were describing, you know, the the autopsy and everything of, of JJ and then you know, of, of Ty Lee's remains, they found a hair that was attached to the duct tape that was used to secure the bag around JJ's uh, body, right? And again, this was on the outside. Um, I think that's a big definitive part, too, is that the this hair was found on the outside of the duct tape, not within, on his clothing. Right. Yes. Yeah, it was attached between the bag and the duct tape. So, okay, so Coleman was sent this strand of hair that was stuck to the duct tape for analysis. Um, she tests it and then discovers that it matches Lori Vallow Daybell. So can, can you describe the evidence that was received and when? In May of 2022, I received three DNA profiles. Um, these were from Lori Vallow Daybell, Ty Lee Ryan, and Melanie Gibb. I also received several items of evidence, one of which was processed as Bodhi EO1, which was a hair attached to a piece of adhesive. And do you recall if there was a an Idaho State Lab number associated with that piece of evidence? Um, Yes, there was, and I'm going to look at the report. Okay, would that refresh your memory? Yes, it would. And this is 2019-05298. Is, is that the agency number? Yes. Okay. I'm, I'm sorry, my my question probably wasn't very clear. Uh, the, you mentioned a, a piece of hair that had been stuck to adhesive. Yes. Uh, was there an evidence number uh from the agency, uh, submitting agency assigned to that specific piece of evidence? Yes, there was, and I'm going to look at the report to refresh my memory. That was 11168B. Thank you. Uh, How was this evidence processed? So similar to the process that I described before, um, a portion of this submitted hair item was taken forward and put into a test tube. It went through a series of washes um, to get rid of any extraneous DNA that may have been on the hair. We were trying to focus on the hair itself. Then uh, additional reagents and chemicals were added to the sample, and it went through a series of heating and cooling steps to isolate any DNA that may have been present. We determined how much DNA was present in that sample, then made lots and lots of copies, put that on a genetic analyzer, and analyzed the data that was obtained using a computer software program. What results were obtained from your analysis? So from the uh, Bodhi item EO1, which was the hair sample, a partial female profile was obtained. 
And were you able to make any conclusions based on those results? Yes. Tyree Ryan and Melanie Gibb were excluded as, as possible contributors of that partial DNA profile. Um, the partial DNA profile matched the DNA profile that was provided for Lori Vallow Dayville. Okay. I, th I think for me, this has to be one of the real defining moments of, of the trial so far, obviously in a, in a trial that's had several defining moments, mm -hmm. but for me at least, and again, I'm not a lawyer We're we're not lawyers. We're, we're giving kind of our opinion on this. For me, I think one of the big things is that up to this point, you could reasonably make the case that Lori knew, right? She knew, mm -hmm. but Alex did it. Chad did it. Alex and Chad worked together, whatever the case was. But Lori, while she knew, she went along with it. Maybe she's a co-conspirator, but like, did she actually do anything with, like, did she actually murder? Exactly. That we needed that direct evidence that direct connection that puts Lori within these murders and and that strand of hair is exactly what did that right yeah I think I'm, for me at least if I'm sitting on that jury your hair is now attached to the duct tape that's wrapped around the bag of of JJ's you know that's around JJ's body that puts you at the scene right doesn't at, it at the time of the crime yes and again that's why just moments ago, I wanted to specify that this hair was found outside of the bag that JJ was wrapped in. So, right. so again, there's there's d definitive proof there that when he was, you know, wrapped up, fully sealed, and yeah. then her hair outside of that. So again, yeah, that puts her at the scene during that time, which is the one thing we really needed in in this case. Right. Yeah. This this feels maybe smoking gun is maybe a little too. I don't know. But this feels pretty definitive to me, at least, that, okay, she was there. And this also ties back. If you remember in those calls we mentioned with Summer and with Colby, she told both of them, you weren't there. You don't know what happened. Yeah, only I know what happened. And so now there's proof like, yeah, you do know what happened. Your hair was there, right? Your hair is on the duct tape. Between, you know, it's on the duct tape around the bag, around the outside of the bag, as you pointed out. This is, this uh, this was a, a big deal. It's one of those moments I wish we could have cameras in the courtroom. Really, honestly, this the, right. at this point, out of the whole, out of this whole trial, it, to, that day was when I wish we would have, to be able to see the reaction, yeah. to be able to see anything. To be honest, I think there's many days where I'm, I'm actually glad that we don't have cameras in the court. Mm -hmm. Just because there's a lot of this stuff that I think people don't really need to see. It's enough that we talk about it. It's enough that it kind of gets filtered through the news a little bit. That's, Obviously, it can still be fairly graphic information. And that's true. As a reporter, I, I do push that aside in a lot of ways because I right. do, you do want to know all the information right now and be able to bring that to people. But, but I think that being able to officially know that that hair belonged to Lori Vallow Daybell, that's big. That's, Yeah. Like that that's really big and now I think now what seemed like her defense would at least be able to say look she knew was she the mom of the year no mm -hmm. 
obviously after her kids were dead, she did not behave well, right? She went to, you know, Hawaii. She got married. She wasn't talking to anyone. She's also um, telling people she doesn't have children. Yeah. Is she, you know, mother of the year? No. But did she murder her kids? No. Now you really have to contend with this because that's physical evidence at the scene of the crime. And not to mention that's with her brother, Alex Cox's handprints and fingerprints that were pulled from the bag as well. Mm-hmm. And so that bag around around JJ really brought a lot of physical evidence. Yeah, so the only DNA evidence we'd really missed was Chad's in this situation, because we do, we have Alex, we have Lori. Right, and that's kind of interesting because there's a lot of, so with all of the cell phone data that they've collected, they see Chad and Alex walking around the property, they see Chad exactly out, out at the same location uh, where JJ was buried with Alex. So there is at least not as much physical, or at least that we haven't seen yet, right? Yeah, exactly. We still we, have we still have time to go. We still have, um, yeah. I mean, as early estimates right now that I've heard say that there could be two, maybe three weeks left on this trial, as of where we're at right now. Obviously, those are estimates, but just based off of the pace at which we've been moving, and then how many witnesses are expected to still be called. The, you know, guesses, an educated guess would put this about two, maybe three weeks left uh, on the on the trial. I think I think they kind of for me, the other thing I wanted to bring up about this, mm. I think they kind of buried this lead a little bit. Definitely. The, Sorry, didn't mean to cut you right, off. No, <laughs> definitely. Right. This is so they mentioned the hair. And this was and I don't have it right in front of me. One the coroner who did the perform the autopsy we we talked about it in last episode the performed the autopsy said i found a strand of hair it was attached to the the duct tape right i couldn't test it so we sent it off to the lab to get tested and then they moved on there was 20 witnesses since then and now they're like the prosecution says wait you remember that hair we mentioned it last week this is the person who tested it. Oh, by the way, that hair is Lori's hair. The, doesn't that feel like burying the lead a little bit? In a lot of ways, it does. And and I wish I could get into the mind of Prosecutor Blake, to be honest. Um, but at the right. same time, I can see this case as they're laying it out piece by piece and how they did need to come back to this in some way, uh, just due to kind of the, the different testimony um, and the different people that they're talking to. It does make sense within the timeline, but at the same time, I, I completely understand where you're saying, that, why didn't we say this straight out of the gate? Right. It, and, and I think, and as I've talked to people, you know, some, some of our listeners who've been listening to this podcast, as I've been talking to friends who've been following it, uh, some of our coworkers, a lot of people are feeling like, you know, this, they have obviously a mountain of evidence that they're trying to get through. What is it? It feels like you could have summed all this up in a week, a week-long trial. Here's the detective, Hermosillo. Here's the autopsy results. Here's another detective saying we found the kids' bodies, their remains on the property, right? Yeah. Here's the cell phone evidence. Here's the physical evidence. We could have been done by Friday. 
Exactly. And I think that this strategy is intentional, but I think we do need to wait and watch. Again, I don't know what's going on, but I do right. I do know that that with the prosecution, this is this isn't their first ball game. I mean, it really isn't. So right. I know that there's a strategy going on right now. And and I'm just trying to to watch that and kind of calculate it at the same time, but I'm interested to see what the what other testimony we'll see. I know there's a lot of questions about if Lori's going to take the stand. Right. Now, I I have heard um, Nate Eaton from East Idaho News, who we've mentioned before. Done, yeah, the great Nate. Yeah, he's done. Yeah, he's done an excellent job uh, covering this. Um, I heard him mention that through his conversations that he's found out that they the her defense and um, and Lori basically discuss it every night after trial. What are the pros and what are the cons? of you taking a stand at this point now. And so that's going to be a game time decision. It sounds like from the defense, whether or not she, she takes a stand. So that can be a big, Ooh. well, that could change everything just within that decision. Yeah. It, it really could. There is the potential. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, which is why I'm sure they're considering it every day based on what they, the new information that comes out mm-hmm. now. Speaking of the defense, mm-hmm. we're gonna we're gonna get to we're gonna get to that here in just a minute. But the defense kind of got their first win. I and maybe win is a little strong, but they brought the, uh, excuse me, <clears throat> they brought their first major exhibit that they were able to get entered in, and it was not something that was supposed to be. It was not on their list of exhibits. Yeah, there was some tense back and forth between the defense and prosecution on that one. Yeah, absolutely. So we will let, let's explain what we'll, we'll get there here. On Tuesday, Alice Gilbert and then later her husband, Todd Gilbert, testified. Now, Alice and Todd were family friends of Chad and Tammy Daybell. They were neighbors. They were they went to the same ward. Tammy worked at the church with Alice. Uh, They had like a special assignment that they worked on in the church together for several years. So they were close family friends. Now, Alice was there when she testified. She said that uh, she was friends with Tammy. She worked with her, like I mentioned, every week. And so she said in the week before Tammy died, she didn't notice anything. She wasn't coughing. She wasn't sick. She wasn't complaining about being sick. And if anything, she was more active than she'd been in years. She was taking a clogging class, which I love, by the way. Yeah, that's a that's a great side fact. That's yeah, that's awesome. Um, go Tammy! But she was uh, doing a clogging class, some sort of Zumba class, and then she was also training for a five k. Yeah, this isn't someone who sits around on the couch all day. No, she was very active. She was very active and was. Uh, only getting more active as she was getting ready to run this 5k. She's only getting more active in, in uh, physically. Uh, so Alice was there just to testify. Like, look, I saw her last week. You're the week. I'm sorry. The week before she died, she was not complaining about being sick. She was sh- definitely not having coughing fits. She never had seizures. Yeah. And honestly, I'm, I'm thankful that we heard from Alice Gilbert. It's, it's good to know that Tammy had a friend or at least someone who was watching out for her because when you hear this case, I think it really hurts your heart f- for Tammy. Right. Oh, absolutely. Not, I, o- not only the kids. Yeah. Yeah, of course. I, I mean, and I think it's 
you know, and and rightfully so, we really focus on JJ and Tylee. They were the kids, but there were also two two other victims between Charles Vallow in Arizona and then Tammy Daybell. And so I think there's a really interesting um yeah, as as you mentioned, I think I think it was really good to hear from a friend of of Tammy's who just, you know, she was crying while she was on the stand just remembering her friend. Exactly, even and, just someone that knew Tammy. Right? Because that's something that really had been missing in this case so far. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Alice Gilbert and uh, her husband, Todd, because they were close friends of the Daybells, they, one of Chad's children, one of his kids, called them the morning Tammy died, the morning they discovered Tammy, Tammy's body. Yeah, yeah. So their daughter, Emma, Emma, uh, Emma right. called Alice, Alice Gilbert, who testified, um, and she spoke about how she learned of Tammy's death and also Chad's explanation. Let's take a listen. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. When you would see Tammy, did you notice her slow down at all? No. Did you notice any change in her activity level prior to her death? No, in fact, I think it increased. <laughs> Did she ever complain to you about any health issues? No. Did you ever see Tammy have any shaking fits? No. Did you ever see Tammy faint? No. she ever tell you that she did? No. At some point, did you learn, uh, or excuse, let me back up. How did you learn about Tammy's death? Um, the morning of the 19th, 7 o'clock, Emma called me on the phone, and she was just sobbing. And she told me that her mother had died. And I said, what? And she said, I said, what happened? And she said she died in her sleep. And I'm going to object to hearsay. This is all hearsay. I'll sustain that at this point. At some point, did someone take the phone from Emma? Chad did. And what did Chad tell you? He told me not to tell anybody and to w wait for about an hour. And... I said, well, I need to call the bishop. And he said, no, don't, don't call. But I still did. And to be clear, was that on October 19th of 2019? Yes. At some point that day, did you end up going to the Daybell residence? 
Yes, we went over about 8.30 in the morning. Did uh, did you make observation, observations of Chad when you arrived? Yes, he met us at the door, and he gave me a hug, and um, all the children were there and their spouses, except for Mark. And the children were stunned. They just... They were all on the couch and chairs, and they were—they could hardly speak. They were stunned at this. But um, Chad was not stunned. He was had to tell us. I said, "What happened?" And he said, "Well, we think she died of an embolism." And he said that her legs were hanging over the bed and that she fell out of the bed, and that she got up at midnight and um, vomited, and um, and the kids didn't say anything, and they were, I think they were too stunned to talk. Did it surprise you to hear Chad's explanation of her death? Yes. Because I had just seen her Wednesday. I had just talked to her on Wednesday. And how did she seem on Wednesday? Fine. She was fine. Did she complain to you at all that day of any health issues? No. Did you ever hear her have a coughing fit around that time? No. After initially going to the Daybell residence, what else did you do that morning? Um... So I asked them if they had breakfast, and they said no. And my husband and I said, well, we'll go get you breakfast. And as we stood up to go, Chad told me that the funeral is going to be on Tuesday and a memorial on Wednesday. And I was really surprised, and I looked at him. I said, oh, did you plan this? Because, you know, sometimes a husband and wife will will say, if I die before you, I want, you know, a graveside or do this. I said, do you plan this? And he said, no. But I knew somebody planned it. <laughs> and did that seem awfully quick to you? Yes. And so the funeral was going to be on a Tuesday mm-hmm. and the memorial on a Wednesday? Yes. And she um, was pronounced dead on a Saturday? Yes. Did Chad respond when you asked if he'd already planned the funeral or if they'd talked about it? He just said no, and that's all he said. But it did catch me off guard. It did surprise me. Did you, in fact, end up attending the funeral? Yes. I I had to go see her in the casket. <laughs> Sorry. You're just fine. I had to tell her goodbye. So he's asking her to wait. There were there was a a lot of interesting parts to what Alice's you know what her testimony says about that interaction. I think, and Todd, her husband, who's not in the courtroom at this point, they had to be. Separated. separated so they didn't see each other's testimony 
he gets on the stand right after her and he basically verifies every he says the same exact you know roughly the same exact thing she really points out that chad is almost very businesslike mm-hmm. about the very transactional very wait we we need to wait one hour don't tell anyone you need to call the bishop you know we need to you know do this this and this it's just, it's very business like it's very cold or, or calculating is what it feels like i definitely think i get that exact same feeling from from this phone call he, he it seems like he is completely unaffected by it where where you see the juxtaposition of his children right of course they're in shock their mom is dead there was no sign that she was going to die so they just woke up one morning and don't have a mom they're in shock she says when she got to the house because she drives straight over there Mm -hmm. she obviously ignores chad's directions and says no she and and todd head straight over there go check on the family go see you know on their friend right they get there and the kids are all sitting around the couch sitting in the the living room in shock as you would be yeah and chad is all business he tells he tells her before she leaves when when the funeral uh plans are and, and i think it's interesting too another a side note on this with um is that he has the funeral already planned his kids haven't even had breakfast yet right yes yeah really good point just so, just coming from a female perspective you know right that nurturing you t- you take care of you need to take care before you take care of business. Like you take care of your own. Of course. Yeah. Really good point. That's because, so, you know, Emma calls her really early as they find out. Right. So by the time Alice and Todd get there, this has only been, you know, maybe a few, two hours, an hour two, since Tammy's body was discovered. As you pointed out, the kids have not eaten. Right now, they're grown adult children. Again, adults. We, I'm, you know, saying kids as loose, loosely here, but, but still, so they have not eaten breakfast. Everyone's in shock. They're sitting on the couch, and Chad is telling her uh, when the the funeral and the memorial are going to be. Exactly, everything is already planned out over the course, over the course of what he wants them to believe is this hour to two hour timeline. He has already had all these plans made up he's grieved in this time he's went through the seven stages right i don't i i don't understand where you would where you would even have the time for this because if you think about the process of okay you have to call 911 then you have to you know obviously the police are going to talk to you mm-hmm. then the coroner has to come out then there's all the pro- the whole process of them you know they have to collect the body they're going to have questions, you know, I'm sure stuff you have to sign. I don't know. Yeah, there's a whole process there's, that goes through a death certificate. You, I mean. There's there's a whole process in the middle of that. Your kids have been coming over. You're dealing with like their grief as, as well as presumably your own. Where in there could you even possibly have had a moment to think, oh, yeah, the funeral is going to be next Tuesday, let alone plan it. This is. Well, exactly. You have to find your plot. You have to find who you're going to go through. You have to find the casket. There's so many things you have to think about. When then she brought up something that I thought was really 
um, interesting, at least, was that so Tammy was actually buried in Utah, in Springville, Utah. Yeah, not Rexburg. Not in Rexburg. And so Alice asked Chad, why why are you doing this this fast? Why is this happening so quickly? Why is she getting buried in, in Utah? And he says, because Rexburg is too cold. <laughs> I Sorry, I grew up in North Idaho, so that's a joke to me. But also, like, it's not like Springville, Utah is... <laughs> Like Phoenix, it's what not. We... A, it's not a tropical area. Yeah, no, it's still very cold. They got more snow than us this year, by by not a small margin. And then, yeah, there it's what the beginning of May right now. They're still buried under snow. So again, excuse after excuse is all I'm hearing. And and yeah. Alice also testifying that it felt fishy for her. Yeah, absolutely. She, she was questioning things. Absolutely. And then her husband, get, Todd Gilbert, gets on the stand right afterwards. He had kind of a different relationship with Chad, right? Yes. What what was what was different about their relationship? Yeah, it was definitely an interesting one. So um, <clears throat> definitely uh, still the kind of the same with Chad sharing his beliefs um, with him, but his beliefs, his kind of changed belief from the LDS faith. Uh, but Todd said he'd re- disregard anything that wasn't in the realm of traditional LDS um, theology. So Todd's testimony, however, apparently opened the door for the defense to enter their first major exhibit that we just talked about, too. So Todd was right. really the open door for, I guess, what we're calling the def- one of the defenses, kind of a little win, I would say. It's not anything I, big. I I think I'm I'm really interested. So what it is we're talking about. He mentions that he had listened to a podcast in his testimony that Lori was in. And that was the first time that he had heard of Lori. This is before Tammy had died, before Chad had brought uh, Lori over to their house. Because he brought Lori over to meet them a week after Tammy's funeral. Yes. And, And continued to meet with them. Yeah. After that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Two weeks, a week or two weeks after um, Chad and Lori were married, when they got back to Rexburg, they they both went over to their house to show them wedding photos. Yes. And um, according to testimony that they were very lovey-dovey and both Alice and Todd Gilbert said that that was something they weren't used to, um, that Chad and Tammy were not touchy, were not lovey. Uh, they said that Chad was kind of acting like a teenager. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like young teenagers in love, you know, kind of all over each other. They said they both said it felt very uncomfortable to be around as it would. But then also this is three weeks after Tammy is dead that they're showing wedding photos to that, you know, to to uh, Todd and Alice. Very strange. Well, so Todd mentions in the line of. Uh, his testimony that the first he had ever heard of Lori date Lori Vallow at this point was when she was on a podcast. Now we've mentioned these podcasts before they were for a group, I guess you could call it an organization, a group type thing called preparing a people. Yeah. And essentially preparing people for the end of the world. Right. The the end times are coming. Here's how to best be prepared. Here's how to prepare your family, etc. 
But what's interesting is that opened the do- the door for the defense to enter an exhibit. Apparently, it was one that they had on their list of possible exhibits, but they were not going to enter it until Todd said, this is where he heard it. And then the defense makes a motion to enter evidence into as, as an exhibit, which is one of these podcasts. And yeah, this podcast, by the way, too, was what, an hour and 49 minutes that they yeah. were trying to to let the jury have that full unabridged preparing a people podcast. Uh, but there was quite a bit of back and forth. Tons. Especially from the prosecution getting a little quippy, I would say. Absolutely. They were not happy with Judge Boyce and they were fighting tooth and nail to keep this out. And, and this is because, too, that this podcast, um, it was Lori, her friend Melanie Gibb, as well as a man named Thor and then Jason Mao. So these are three other individuals that are that well Melanie Gibb obviously testified so she is involved in the case but uh, Thor and Jason Mount obviously not involved in the case at all yeah. so the prosecution wanted to keep that off well, the table right and they fought really hard objection after objection to keep this podcast from being played I thought it was really interesting now what we're going to do because this is as So what ended up happening, let me back up. What ended up happening was Judge Boyce listened to the portion of the podcast that was um, in question. And then he said, okay, I'm, I'm fine with it. I feel like this actually is what the defense says it is. It does not meet what the prosecution is objecting to. I'm going to let the, the jury listen to this under one one caveat that is we're only going to play the first 40 minutes of it yeah and and since several other people are speaking uh, we're going to post the entire podcast clip as well the one hour and 49 minutes for you to be able to listen to Um, that's going to be separately on idahonews.com so if you want to hear that entire again hour and 49 minutes of preparing a people you can head there but um, we'll at least play Lori's section here Must be really quick so you guys can ask questions. I am a witness of Jason Mao. I'm a witness to everything that he said. I can but to what he says about what the prophet says and about what the Lord is telling us and about the warrior spirit inside of us. Right? My job, according to Jesus Christ, is to wake up the women warriors. Because I too have gone to the bottom edge, just like Thor, I'm a witness of his, of his testimony, a witness of your testimony. I too have seen the resurrected Jesus Christ, and he has told me my mission, and he has sent me to help people and lift them in their missions. And so I testify about that word. That's what I feel like too. When Jason starts talking, I just start talking like this. I love to hear. I love to hear him speak. Um, we go through. We're, I'm just a normal person that was grew up in the church. Grew up in Southern California, went to Utah, went to BYU, did all those things, right? But my life turned bad. It turned really bad. 
and like I said, I wanted to give up. And like where I was ready to go to the other side, I'm like, this is way too hard. I didn't sign up for this. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be out here. And I, would, I didn't want to kill myself. I wanted to pray and have the Lord just take me, like as a sweet mercy, just take me, done, kind of, I'm out of this game. And he showed me myself as a warrior in the pre-existence. As a warrior, like a beast. Like I fought with Satan. He hates me. I did all these things. And so he showed that to me. So that I would put <laughs> I was crying in the temple all day long in the lunchroom, bawling my eyes out. People coming up, lady, are you okay? No, I'm not okay. Sisters are crying all the time. But he showed me so that I too could be the warrior that he sent me here to do. And do I want to go back and say, I can't do this? It was too hard. I didn't do it. No, none of us want to go back and do that. We came here to fight this war. And what I know directly from Jesus Christ, and angels from on high who have come to minister to me. Okay? The time is now that this war is on and it has started. And what Jason gave us about a timeline is accurate, true, and correct. These things will start happening in the next two years, and things are going to change, and we need to be ready for that change. And how we do that? We sanctify ourselves. We turn our lives completely over to Christ, and we let him build the warrior from within. And I will say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Yeah, but he 
had recognized Nicole, who he knew was my first and so I, he gets up to, and it was super funny because we went in and we sat in this lunchroom, and I never, we never sit on that side. And then we're sitting in this chair, and the spiritual me is like, move to the couch. All right, I'll move to the couch. Like I don't know why it's a big difference. I'll move to the couch. Like not that I'm not used to hearing these things already, and I don't know why you want it. Right, so I just moved to the couch. And Jason had walked just right past us on the couch and sat right next on the chairs next to us. So um, he got up to leave. And he didn't know why he'd come to, to the temple that day, but someone had sent him to the temple that day. So he felt like it's that hard, but um, he sat up and I, we got up to shake his hand, and I'm like, hi, and you have a message for me from Moroni. So he was probably thinking, what is this crazy lady? <laughs> and we started talking. <laughs> and we started talking, and, and I got to hear his story and, and that kind of stuff. And, so, and then at the end of that, he's like, well, I need to get you to some like my people. I said, the Lord sent me, because I'm supposed to find these women that he sends me to, or sends them to me. And he said, um, he sent me to Melanie. Good I, job. <laughs> <laughs> and that is how Melanie and I met. And uh, uh, he sent my permission. She emailed me that day. She said, I'm doing a class on this Thursday. You should come and set the church. I'm going to say all so far away. Okay, okay I'm like, I've got to get babysitter. I've got to do all these things. So, and then I saw her, and I knew that she was one of the women that I was supposed to uh, be involved with and stuff. And so, and she knew it when she saw me. And she gave her a little talk, and it was so cute, and I loved it. And then someone else got to speak, and she walked out to the Colton Hall, and I was like, Where's my Well, I didn't talk to her, and we were instant sisters because we knew each other before. And that's how the Lord works. So, he sends me to people, he, um, he's building his army. And he is calling people, and he is calling people to do certain missions that he needs done right now. Like, he has already begun, and he is calling people to do these missions, and they are to go forward in faith, and this is what he tells you. This is how the Lord works. He doesn't tell you exactly what you're going to do. He said, go forward, and I will tell you exactly what to do. So every day, I say, who do you need me to be? What do you need me to do? And I've sent all these women. They just come. And I'm able to share my experiences with them and tell, share what the Lord has told me specifically about myself. And sometimes he gives me messages for them to help them in what their missions that they promised they would do before they came to this earth. And stuff they are experts at. And I love that one about Jesus said because and what Laura says, we signed these contracts because we knew what we would be doing. We knew exactly what we would be doing. And the time is now to do those things that we promised that we would do. So, that's where you're So, as you heard Lori on the podcast giving you what I guess when some, some people would call her testimony, um, she explains about how things turned really bad for her um, following college, but she says after praying and crying in the temple day after day that the Lord had showed her a vision. So um, Lori saying verbatim that the Lord showed me myself. Right. So apparently Lori um, was a warrior beast that had battled with Satan in past lives. Mm-hmm. Again, this is uh, Lori according to her visions that she had. Um, she claims that it was her job, according to Jesus, to wake up women warriors. 
Um, so again, this is the end of the world. Um, she's getting together women warriors. She says that she'd seen the resurrected Jesus Christ and that he sent her to help people and kind of lift them up in in the mission um, right. of what she was calling Jesus's mission. Uh, she also makes a point of saying that in the next two years, and again, this is back in 2018, by the way, that the next two years, things will start happening and start to change. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, ominous. No, you know, hindsight being 2020, obviously, that's... Uh-huh, 2020, because it's right. two years later. Uh, okay. Anyways. But I think it's, I think it's, it's fairly ominous, right, to hear her say that in 2018, for her to say, look over the next two, two years, everything's going to start to change. I mean, as an elder millennial, um, I think I've, I mean, if you've grown up the way that the millennials have... Uh, we're hearing that every couple years now. So uh, so for some right. reason, that didn't hit me quite as hard. Uh, but but at the same time, I did grow up in an area that was full of a lot of religious preppers. And so this wasn't something that was completely out of the ordinary for me to hear. But again, it is pretty, pretty um, interesting to hear how uh, just how encapsulated she was in in this world right. and how much she believed that this this was true. And it's interesting that the defense chose to enter this podcast as well. I'm wondering if they're trying to humanize her or or show her uh, mental stability or lack thereof, potentially. Maybe. It's just interesting. I've, I've now, really been kind of sitting on this. Now, Idaho does not have a criminal like you. You do not get to plead criminally insane. Oh, yes. That's an important an important thing about our state. Yes. And so. You do have to be competent enough to understand the charges that are against you. And that's it. That's it. Now, that's a pretty low bar to to jump over if you're not, you know, in a coma. Mm -hmm. They basically say the state says you can basically understand the charges that are being levied against you unless in very rare circumstances. That is not the case here. And so I'm really curious because the state fought really hard to keep this out having listened to it what what why like i mean obviously they don't want the defense to get any foothold they don't want them to get any wins that's their job right but i i don't see like for me Mm. listening to it i don't see anything in there that says anything other than what we already know from testimony. I mean, we knew that she held these beliefs. We've, we've known since the beginning of the, the trial. We had uh, Zaluma Pasanese. Yes, um, Alex Cox's um, ex-wife. Or Well, he, he died, so yeah, His widow. Widow, I guess, of a Pardon few weeks. Me. But Zaluma. Then we had Melanie Gibb, all of whom have testified, and then um, also her friend from Hawaii. But all of these people who have testified to her beliefs. And so this didn't tell us anything new. Maybe it showed, maybe it shows us that Lori was pretty bought into this idea, I guess. That's the only thing I can think is that it's showing her just how, or it's showing the jury just how wrapped up in, in this world that they had created was. Right. What, what struck me, and I'm curious how you felt about it, listening to the 40 minutes that the court um, 
the court allowed to be played. Um, and again, we'll we'll have that all up on IdahoNews.com. So you can, if you're interested, you can go listen to the entire clip that that we have of that. Um, but I think I think the thing that really struck me about the whole podcast was th- I I felt like it was like listening to people who were they were so bought into this idea that they stopped hearing how crazy it sounds how like yeah they were in an echo chamber essentially right yeah an echo chamber and so the more you you know it's that you know group mass hypnosis whatever you want to call it but the more they keep feeding into it the more i keep telling you i've had all of these past lives and in these past lives i was a warrior beast who fought Satan. And the more the people around me start confirming that saying, yes, I've heard that too. I've heard that about you. Yes. I've had visions that have, you know, are, are you able to really convince yourself of that? This is true. Or is it something that you just want to be true? And so you keep going along with it. That really is the big question. Right. Right. I'm yeah, I thought this was really interesting. This was the first time we've been able to get a hold of really any meaningful length of of podcast um from Lori. Now we've heard clips and bits and pieces. Yeah. But the preparing of people took everything down after Chad and Lori were Yeah, they did not want to be affiliated with them. No. And so they took everything down. And so it's been very difficult to find. You can find bits and pieces that have been like splintered off into. And it does make me wonder too, because um, Alice, uh, Alice, Todd and Todd Gilbert, as well as uh, Lori and Chad um, back in the day and Tammy as well. They were part of, well, let me back up there. It'd be Chad and Tammy were part of Salem's third ward in Rexburg, Idaho. Mm. So that leads me to believe that Salem's third ward in Idaho, the LDS church is somehow affiliated with preparing a people because how else would they have found out about this podcast? Right. Just a lot of questions there. There are a lot of questions. Yeah. I know um, who was, I think it was Todd in his testimony says that he initially heard about it from a flyer that he'd found presumably maybe at church somewhere, but who knows? Um, but I think it's a really interesting, there, there's, there's kind of an interesting dynamic over there and it's been really interesting that all of that stuff got pulled down. All of it's been really hidden away. And this is, you know, a room full of reporters that have been looking for this kind of thing. And so it's, it has not been an easy thing to find. So I thought it was really interesting to actually get to hear this, you know, this, this chunk, this, uh, this clip of it. And today, which is Wednesday, uh, court is in session at Ada County right now. And um, as we're recording this, we want to make sure we give you the most up-to-date information we can. So on Friday, Ryan Oswald, my producer, hey, Ryan, right across the table from me right now, um, he will be also putting out the updates from the podcast and what's going on on the trial for Wednesday, Thursday, as well as Friday of this week. So definitely stay tuned for that. Well, so follow along with us throughout the week for regular updates on Facebook and Twitter. We are at CBS2Boise. 
You can also follow along on our blog uh, that's updated throughout the day at idahonews.com. This is Gem State, The Trials of Chad and Lori Daybell. I'm Sarah Jacobson. And I'm Ryan Oswald. 